When I was a little kid, I used to dream of becoming a paleontologist. And I wanted to discover the first dinosaur from the Philippines and name it after myself. As I grew older, I slowly let go of that dream and decided to pursue a different career path. Still, my love for paleontology lives on, which is why I always find it exciting to be able to talk to people who share my passion. Our guest on today's show is Gabriel Philip Santos, the collections manager and outreach coordinator at the ALF Museum of Paleontology in Los Angeles, California. He is also the co-founder of the Cosplay for Science initiative. Aside from the paleobiology of marine mammals, he also studies diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility in science education and STEM as a museum coordinator and a National Geographic certified educator. We talked about telling stories of Earth's distant past, how fossils are formed, the surprisingly accurate museums in the game Animal Crossing, cosplaying for science, what prehistoric clues can tell us about the present and the future, and more. Welcome to this episode of Ask Theory. Hello. Yeah, uh, thanks for being here. Oh yeah, no, it's totally my pleasure. I'm so excited to be uh, talking with you. Yeah, uh, me too, because I don't really get to talk to, to people who share uh, this passion uh, that often. Like, I, I, I don't really get to talk to a lot of people who work with, with fossils or people who work in museums. And yeah, this is just really exciting for me. I think I'm geeking out. I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> so <laughs> let's get on with the questions. All right. So... um. How did you become interested in science and specifically why this field? Uh, that's a really great question. My journey to like becoming a scientist isn't exactly straightforward. Uh, you know, like growing up, I was born in the United States. My parents emigrated here from uh, Bulacan, uh, Valenzuela. Uh -huh. And so, you know, when they got here, I grew up in Los Angeles. Uh, I've always had a passion and love for science. Um, Growing up, I, you know, I love going to museums. I loved like watching Magic School Bus. I love Bill Nye the Science Guy. Uh -huh. uh, and so, you know, I've always had a love and passion for science, but I didn't really know like it could be a career. Um, growing up, my parents, you know, not to their fault, more of just like what it's like to be an immigrant coming to the United States is they're like, you should be a doctor or like, you know, go become a nurse or something. So, I took science classes because I loved it, but like for a career, I, I went into my undergraduate degree looking to become a doctor. So I was biological sciences pre-med. And while I was doing that, I kind of realized I hated it. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, I didn't want to become a doctor. It wasn't fun for me. And I think one of the other reasons was because um, as a kid too, I had, I love storytelling, right? I loved to tell stories, not just about science, but like everything. I love Star Wars. Like Star Wars is oh, amazing. Yeah. I, my, my, um, my undergraduate essay to get into college, I wrote about the first time I watched Star Wars Episode Five and how that inspired my love of science too, because I love science fiction and it makes me ask all these questions. Um, but yeah, so like I, I'm a big storyteller. I love teaching science. I love talking about science and I love more like doing science. And so I 
didn't go to med school. I took the MCATs, which I didn't do. And then I kind of quit and I didn't really know what to do for like a couple years until uh-huh. one day I went on a trip to New York City and I visited the American Museum of Natural History. And while I was there, I saw this, the fossil skeleton of this giant rhino called Paraceratherium from Mongolia. Oh, yeah. And yeah. yeah, it's huge and amazing. And I sat, I just stood there for like, I don't know, 15 minutes just in awe of this thing. And I thought, like, somebody had to find that. Someone had to figure out what it was. Someone had to tell its story. Someone had to build this exhibit. And I, right then and there, I was like, yeah. I want to work in the museum. I didn't necessarily think I want to be a paleontologist. I just knew I want to work in a museum. And so my parents took me to New York. So I got back to the hotel room and I was like, mom, dad, I don't want to be a doctor. I want to work in a museum. My mom goes like, I know, bucket. And then I was like, don't worry, mom, I know what I'm going to do. And so we got home and then I started volunteering at another museum in a paleontology museum. And that is pretty much where my career started. I I realized how much I love telling stories of the past, um, both as a scientist and as an educator. And really, those two fields really cross over for me. Because as a paleontologist, we tell the stories of the past um, through our research. And as an educator, I use those stories to help people learn about the past. And so I got my master's degree in geological sciences at Cal State Fullerton. Um, working with Dr. James Parra, my advisor. And while I was there, I got a job at the ALF Museum of Paleontology, where I'm now as the outreach coordinator and collections manager. And at the same time, I kind of do, um, I do uh, uh, research in marine mammal evolution and also education work too. Um, so that's kind of how my path into science was. But it wasn't super typical, but you know, I, I wouldn't change a thing for it. Yeah, uh, and it sounds like a lot of fun. Like, I love your story of how you discovered that you wanted to do this. Like, you just, you you saw a story in front of you. That's basically it. And you said, I want to be able to tell that story too. So uh, what keeps you busy, like, uh, these days? I, I, I imagine, like, you guys are just starting to uh, go back to some semblance of normalcy? Um, Sort of. Things are getting better here in the United States, especially here in Los Angeles. Um, I've been, we've been working at the museum still nonstop since, even though we close to the public, we've been doing a lot of virtual programming. That's really what's been keeping me busy these days. So like we created uh, virtual tours for our museum. I started a brand new uh, show on YouTube called Fossil Friday Chats, where we, uh, we, we talk and chat with the guest paleontologists every Friday about their stories and their research. Um, and it's all live. So, you know, people can ask their questions and stuff. Um, I'm working on some special ev- online events for the ALF Museum. Um, and we've been trying to do some things for this project that I'm a part of called Cosplay for Science. But unfortunately, there's only so many hours in a day. And, you know, one of the other things that keeps me busy is playing video games and watching like Um, all the shows I've been wanting to catch up on. So, you know, I'm trying to keep a balance on things. (laughs) Uh Oh, yeah, I'm just curious. Which video games are you playing right now? Like, there are a lot of uh, dinosaur-themed or prehistoric-themed video games that I know. Like, I can think of the Jurassic Park mobile game. I I used to play that, but it took a lot of my time because I got so engrossed and I couldn't. I I, I was literally having trouble meeting my deadlines. So, yeah, what what games do you play? Do you still play, like... uh, paleontology related games 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I love playing those kind of games. Um, I started a Twitch channel because I wanted to try to play those games with other paleontologists. Um, but right now, I'm actually playing um, Subnautica. It's this really cool game where like you're trapped on an alien world and you're trying to escape. But, you know, you, it's an ocean ocean setting and you get to dive and see all these really cool biomes and all these different alien animals. And I love exploring and kind of just trying to figure out like where the inspirations like the science behind this game came out of. I also am playing Monster Hunter a lot right now. Um, I love that game, too, because one, there's a lot of inspirations from science and paleontology, but also it's just fun hunting monsters. And I play a lot of Destiny 2. That's like one of my favorite games. So those are the games I've been playing. I was playing a lot of Pokemon and Animal Crossing over the summer, too. Yeah, Animal Crossing. I've I've wanted to try that. I, I, I see a lot of people posting about it on my uh, Facebook feed, like all of the screenshots of... See, I, I haven't tried that game yet, but I do know that you can collect bones, fossils, and uh, you have like a museum display of sorts there. Like, yeah, I've been seeing people forming like entire skeletons of like Triceratops, and I think that was Velociraptor, uh, Spinosaurus, all of those. Yeah, it's yeah. really cool. Like, um, so yeah, in the game you can dig up fossils and then you put them in your museum, and you know there's certain pieces that fit together to create like whole skeletons, and honestly. The museum in Animal Crossing is so well done. Like they put a lot of time and effort into creating this really, really realistic museum for this, you know, fun game. And um, we actually did a let's play of it for my museum where I played with a couple of other paleontologists to look at how good the museum was. And it was just so much fun. And, you know, it's it's just really cool to be able to see that. And because, you know, also we were you know, working from home at the time, we didn't get to go into our own museum. So it was kind of cool to be able to have my own mini museum at home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, that kind of like when you miss your second home. Exactly. I've, I've found that, yeah, talking about games and pop culture in general that feature like fossils, dinosaurs, or dinosaur inspired creatures a lot. The entire concept of, of something that lived millions and millions of years ago. And, you know, having traces of that uh, organism, that plant or animal that doesn't, that isn't alive anymore and having that preserved for us to see and appreciate now to, to give us clues on, you know, the story of the world even before we were here. To me, that's incredibly fascinating. And even more fascinating is the process of how they come to be in the first place. And yeah, um, I'm I'm sure you're familiar with with those memes, uh, those Philosoraptor memes, where <laughs> you know, uh, there's this there's this. My favorite is I think the one where um, if oil is made out of uh, dinosaurs and plastic dinosaurs are made out of oil, are plastic dinosaurs made out of dinosaurs? So of <laughs> course, yeah, of course, there's a. It's not as simple as that. But tell us a bit about how and why fossils form like what are they exactly are they actual bones are they rocks what are they so yeah that's a great question so basically fossils can be any kind of evidence of past life so there are things that tell tells us how things looked how they acted how they lived and so they can be things like um fossilized bone permit or um bone that have become rock basically because all the organic material has been replaced by um by different types of minerals. So it, you know, it still has the shape of a bone, but the composition is basically a rock now. So you have bones, you can have shells, you can have leaf impressions, 
Um, you could have things like footprints. You can have uh, um, skin impressions. You can have even poop. Uh, we call them coprolites. Fossilized <laughs> poop are a type of fossil, and they're just as important, like the footprints and things like that. All of them combine together to help us learn about the past, and they're all pieces of evidence that paleontologists use to reconstruct that story. Um, you know, the the past we'll never be able to see with our own eyes, and so trying to tell the story of the past from you know bits and pieces is like trying to tell a story with chapters and sentences and words missing. Um, so mm-hmm. we do our best to decode the evidence and really get as best of a story as we can. And that's one of my favorite things about paleontology and fossils is that every time we get a new discovery, we fill in the gaps of that story and learn more and more about the past and in turn help us learn about the future and the present too. Uh-huh. And I can imagine that the sense of wonder never fades away. Like it never gets old. Oh, uh, no. Never. Yeah. <laughs> Every day at the museum, I just like have so much fun because I'm like, I can find a fossil that I've seen a hundred times and see like a brand new piece to it and be like, whoa, that's amazing. I can learn something new every day in paleontology about the past and even about the present. There's, it's just one of those things where like, um, you're standing there and you, you, you see a fossil that nobody has ever seen in millions of years. You're the first set of eyes to look at them. And this, this, this weird sense of like, wonder comes over you um what's the word my mom would say it's like almost like gigil that's (laughs) that's how you feel sometimes when you're like seeing this brand new fossil and trying to learn about it that's that's like the closest i can like approximate (laughs) yeah uh i'm gonna be completely honest with you i think you have one of the coolest jobs in the world and i'm like super jealous i'm i'm really envious of of the people who get to work in that field like i remember when i first read about Borealopelta, Mark Michelli. That, yeah. Uh, yeah, that I was like, my mind was blown. Like, oh my god, I can't believe. Like, we've had we've had samples of of skin, of of tissue. I've, I think I've even read about a preserved brain matter from a hadrosaur or something. But mm-hmm. yeah, we've. I don't think we've ever like. Uh, the only thing that I could think of that that brought that level of excitement to me, uh, hearing about Borealopelta, was that reconstruction of Cetacosaurus. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Like that super. Like based on on existing evidence, like this is the most accurate reconstruction of of a dinosaur that scientists were able to put together. So those two, and when I heard about them, they were when I read about them, they kind of were. Uh, it wasn't like a long time between those two. So I was like, my 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 passion for paleontology was like reignited, and I was like, <laughs> man, I wish I could be working in this field. Hey, it's not too late. I didn't become a paleontologist until I was twenty five. That's when I decided to get into paleontology. So, you know, I'm always telling people, if you if you want to try it out, give it a shot. Volunteer at your local museum or, you know, get in contact with other paleontologists and try to, you know, work with them or do whatever you can. I'm, I didn't know it. Like I said, I didn't know I want to be a paleontologist when I was growing up. Not until I was 25 did that spark hit me because of that giant rhino I was standing in front of. <laughs> yeah, and even just the, yeah, exactly. The idea, the feeling of having something so huge. That knowledge that a long time ago, these were the animals, these were the creatures that ruled the planet. And, you know, now it's it's us and it's up to us to tell their stories. Yeah. Although you can probably imagine that paleontology is not that popular here in the Philippines or not that talked about, not that discussed, partly because there are no dinosaurs here in the Philippines. And due to the, of course, due to the geologic history of the Philippines and how it was formed, et cetera, et cetera, it's highly unlikely 
that we'll ever find like dinosaurs here. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously we have like the species that came after, of course. And when you know how how they would cross over from different uh, parts of the world, they would walk on these uh, land bridges, or you know they would just be on these islands as they were separating. So you know, whenever I talk about uh, fossils, prehistoric life. I, you know, aside from unless I'm talking to kids or or people who share my interests, I often get funny looks. So maybe you can help us a bit by telling us how exactly does uh, studying Earth's prehistoric life help us here in the present and even in the future, especially when when our approach to science and technology is generally towards results, towards products, towards technology. Yeah, no, that's a great question. That like. We, we get asked that all the time. And the thing we like to say is that the past is the key to the present, right? By learning how, you know, animals lived in the past or not just animals, but like organisms, how, how earth has changed, how environments have changed and how organisms have adapted to all those changes. We can start to better understand all the things that led up to where we are today because, um, you know, the reason that we exist as humans be- is because of different types of adaptations to different changes and and challenges in the environment, right? So by mm-hmm. learning those, we can better understand ourselves. We can better understand our connection to to nature, to the to the planet, and our connection within this great, you know, not to be Disney, but the circle of life, right? Like everything yeah. is connected, and so with paleontology we can learn about how things evolved in periods of climate change, how predator prey relations have adapted and evolved, how specific types of adaptations like flight, different types of seeing, even like how our brains adapted because we have, you know, we have fossil endocasts of different skulls and we can learn about how all these things came to be in the present. And we can even use that to kind of, think about the future, how climate change may affect um, organisms, how extinction events actually work. Um, it's all connected. The, the, the past is the key to the present and the future. So that's how paleontology and looking about looking at these stories of the past is so important to us. It may not seem like it on the very, very, you know, surface, especially when we think about the quote, like harder sciences, like things that are more goal-oriented or that are more data-driven. Um, but paleontology is, is data-driven, especially nowadays. There's a lot more science, like a lot more scientific techniques that are interdisciplinary where different types of sciences are working within um, paleontology because now we can do things like isotopic analysis. We can do, um, we can do things like uh, 3D scanning and looking at geochemistry to learn more about the past um so it all is all is very 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 important for helping us learn about things today do you visit the philippines often or have you visited the philippines recently not recently the last time i've been to the philippines i was probably 17 or 18 and i'm like 32 now so it's been a while since i've been there i really really want to go back i've been a few times when i was a kid um Uh but i definitely really really want to go back one of the projects i definitely want to do um is to set up a movable museum and educational program to go through parts of the philippines and teach them about paleontology but in a very specific way i want to teach them about natural history and paleontology in the philippines using um 
our culture, our languages, um, our, our stories, you know, things like, um, like the, like, like the Chanak or like the, the stories of like the Bayawak or the, the Ahas and things like that. Yeah. I think I'm going to be following you around if you do that. <laughs> oh yeah. I'd be happy to have you join. <laughs> I would love to join. Yeah. Here's hoping that that, that project materializes like, uh, when, when things are less crazy. Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. I would, as soon as, you know, think I'm trying to get it set up now. Um, because, you know, that's one of my passions uh, is to really teach folks and inspire people to think about paleontology and not just that, but just think about science in their everyday lives and interest. Um, a lot of folks don't realize, but science is in front of them all the time. It's just we're yes. looking at it in a different way. But once you, you know, kind of remove the, you know, put on those glasses or kind of change the perspective then people can start to really see and appreciate the science that's everywhere around them and in the philippines you know um my parents and my grandparents you know they would tell me about that science wasn't really a thing for some people you know and even some of my own cousins and family members science isn't important to them i've had i've had people ask me from the philippines if dinosaurs were real and you know i don't look yeah, I, it's it's. I don't look down on them. It's just they've yeah. never had the opportunity and experience to to get that awe and wonder. And I want to go there and inspire that awe and wonder for folks with paleontology, but connect it back to something that's relatable through our stories and our culture. Yeah, exactly. I love how you mentioned that because I really want to to help people get out of the mindset that science is just a subject. Or science is just something you have to master for school because science is life. It's it's everywhere. It's it's the key to understanding our existence. It's the key to understanding why things happen to us and how we can how we can have better control of our lives. How we can have better outcomes for everyone. Science is the key, and I just want absolutely people, yeah to appreciate yeah the, the different aspects of it, the different fields. Like I think all of them are are important, not just the ones that give us products or not just the ones that give us things that we can see or technologies that we can use, like everything contributing to our knowledge of, of the world, of ourselves. I think it's all beautiful. Yeah. It's like, you know, how it, there's like a, a thing where it's like you go outside and once you understand how things work and work with each other, how things are connected, it just makes you want to like smile sometimes when you just see like the beauty of everything. Right. And when you can connect it to, these things that you may not realize through like storytelling and uh, culture and finding the ways that they interact with each other, it just becomes so much more personal and relatable. Um, you know, it's like, I want to become that person who can teach science and help people smile when they see it, you know, like, you know, I want to be like, like, like Deku and my hero academia yes. is be that, be that hero who makes people smile. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that you wanted to, to, you know, uh, get more people here in the Philippines, interested in paleontology by, you know, referencing or tying it into our culture. Now, I'd like you to share like a few things about the fossil record of the Philippines that our listeners might find interesting. Yeah. Um, well, like you said earlier, there's no dinosaurs in the Philippines. And, you know, I know a lot of people might be disappointed. But, you know, for me, I'm a marine mammal paleontologist. So, I, you know, dinosaurs are cool, but I think whales and dugongs are so yeah. much cooler. And the Philippines, because the Philippines didn't start to form until I think it was the Oligocene, maybe about yeah. 30, 30 million years ago. Um, so there's 
a whole lot of uh, marine fossils in the Philippines. There are things like beautiful limestone caves that preserve these beautiful shells and other marine creatures from 30 million years ago and older. You've got fossil whales all throughout, you know, the, the, the bundoks and the, um, the rice fields that are always being found when people are, you know, excavating out there. And then you Mm -hmm. have, um, in the Pleistocene, the Ice Age is when you get these really amazing land and mammal fossils. And one of the coolest things that's come up really recently in the Philippines is we have ancient human fossils. You know, there's Homo luzonensis, right? That was discovered not too long ago. And that is an amazing fossil because it it tells us it it's the story of us. It's It's our ancient relatives in the philippines and we can learn more about how we became how we how who what we are today because of something like that and it's such an amazing find so yeah unfortunately there may not be dinosaurs but all of ancient history is awesome and so there's so many cool things you just need to know where to look and hopefully we can inspire more paleontologists in the philippines to want to actually look at those things imagine trying to you know describe these huge whales that have been found in the rice fields you're excavating and you find like this 40 foot long skeleton in the ground and you just don't know what it is that that would be so cool to be described by a future filipino paleontologist or you know learn about the natural history of dugongs in the philippines or sea turtles and Things like the um, the water buffalo, the uh, um, the all the monitor lizards, and all the really cool things that are endemic to the Philippines today, you you might be able to find them in the fossil record of the Pleistocene. I love how you mentioned uh, the dugong. It reminded me of a story that I read some time ago. I think it was a, it was from I can't remember if it's twenty eleven or twenty twelve. I remember that there was a, a an extinct sea cow, uh, some fossils of an extinct sea cow that were found in a cave. And it might be a new species, but they can't extract the fossils from the cave without because there there isn't the right equipment. The the, mm. the right equipment to do it isn't here, I think. And I haven't. I, I remember trying to look into that story recently. I have not found any updates. So, so yeah, definitely, there's a lot more to learn, a lot more to discover about the Philippines, and not just dinosaurs. I mean, I know I reference dinosaurs a lot, but <laughs> in general, I appreciate all sorts of life that came before us. I find it all really fascinating, especially seeing how how they used to be and how we see traces of life back then in the species that still live on today. Oh, yeah. It's, it's amazing to be able to look at something and realize that it took millions and millions of years of evolution and adaptation for it to, to be that thing. And for a lot of our endemic species in the Philippines... You know, they're not found anywhere else. So there's this whole chain of events that led to something so special that is unique to our homeland. Um, yes. And it's it's just it's just a cool story that when you stop and are able to learn and think about it, you can just like get this real sense of awe and like deep of like deep time of like that's amazing that Something like, you know, I don't know, like the Binturong or the Philippine yeah. eagle, which is a dinosaur, technically, yeah. because it's a bird. It's like, yes. that's so cool that in the Philippines, we have this amazing, huge, you know, eagle that's that's not found anywhere else. And all the chain of events of the island building of it, its ancestors getting to the island, surviving and adapting to the rainforest and the mountains and all that. It's It's just so cool to look at something and learn how it got there. Good that you mentioned the the eagle because I've I've been trying to correct myself for the past 
couple of years about saying that there are no dinosaurs in the Philippines. Like dinosaurs in the tra- traditional sense, like how we picture them, it's unlikely that we'll ever find those dinosaurs, extinct dinosaurs, but the dinosaurs that managed to live on. Oh, we have a lot of those here. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, Filipinos, like, we love our, our chicken, right? So we eat dinosaur all the time. Every time we eat uh, chicken adobo, we're yeah, technically eating chicken di- or dinosaur adobo, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of, you know, these fascinating, these really cool prehistoric animals or plants, tell us about your favorite prehistoric animal or plant and, you know, some interesting facts about them, maybe their closest living relatives, you know, oh, stuff like that. Yes. I'm glad you asked me that because I love talking about one of the creatures that I actually studied and published on. Um, uh-huh. These things are called Desmostilians. So uh-huh. Desmostilians, if you've never heard of that, that's okay because not a lot of people have. And there's only a, like four or five people in the United States who actually care about them. But to me, they're amazing. So picture something that looks like a hippo, right? A hippopotamus, uh-huh. but make it about the size, a little bit the size of an elephant stretch out its face a little bit and then put it in the ocean. That's what a Desmostilian is. They are these really weird marine mammals that existed in the North Pacific from like California to Alaska, Russia to Japan that looked like these hippo like animals and they fed on sea grasses. Um, They are so unique um, in that they don't have any um, living relatives today. They're the only group of marine mammals that are completely extinct. And what makes them super like cool to look at is they have these teeth um, that look like a bunch of sushi rolls all stuck together. Um, and they have the thickest enamel. That's like the hard stuff on the outside of your teeth. And yeah. they they use it to eat seagrasses when there are a lot more seagrasses in, in the ocean when it was warmer in the Miocene. And they're my favorite because, you know, one, we don't know that much about them, even though they're very common in the fossil record. We find their teeth all over the place in like California and Japan. Um, and we actually have complete skeletons of them, but because they don't have any living relatives um, and we have nothing to really compare them to because there's not really a kind of marine mammal that looks like them today. Nothing because, you know, they have four legs. They don't have flippers. They, yeah. again, look like a hippo. We don't know how they swam. We don't know how they stood. We don't know really much about their 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 life cycle. So they're like this huge mystery that for me as a paleontologist is like, I want to solve those mysteries, even though I might not ever get to. It's still something that I just love. And also looking at them, they look kind of derpy. (laughs) 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 Um, What's the word? Uh, They look uh, like like, I guess is the word. Um, And so that's why I love them, too. They just look so silly that I I love weird ones. Actually, they kind of remind me of Slowpoke. Yeah, that's it. They do look like Slowpoke. <laughs> I'm sorry. No no offense, meant. I mean, I like Slowpoke. He's kind of cute. Oh, but... no. <laughs> no offense. I love every single Pokemon. So, you know, please yeah. please compare them to Pokemon. I do it all the time as a as an educator. And there are like a, an astounding number of Pokemon that were obviously blatantly dinosaur inspired or inspired by prehistoric fauna. Oh, yeah. Um I do that all the time in my museum. And um, like, again, like I said, I'm part of this group called cosplay for science where like we, we talk about the science that inspired, you know, like Pokemon or any kind of fantasy science fiction thing, pop culture story. And we built a, uh, a pop-up museum 
that's called the natural history of Pokemon, where we use real fossils and animal specimens to show how the real world inspired the world of Pokemon. And so I get to dress up as Professor Oak and talk about these fossil Pokemon and like all the types of Pokemon using real museum specimens and talking about the science behind it. It's one of my favorite things I ever get to do. Um, my mom doesn't quite understand what I do when I go to Comic-Cons to talk science, but I don't care. I get to go to Comic-Cons and talk about science and inspire kids. And then I also get to go to Comic-Con. Yeah, that's something I've still, you know, I've always wanted to do. But yeah, COVID-19 kind of threw a wrench in, in those plans. But anyway, yeah, there's there's plenty of time in the future. Oh, yeah. How are you guys working these days at uh, Cosplay for Science? Are you guys still like doing like web stuff, uh, online webinars or something? We've been trying. We haven't really had the time to set up stuff. We've been trying to set it up like in the last few months. So we're hoping to do like online panels in the next coming month, maybe our own little mini online Cosplay for Science Comic Con. Um, (laughs) And again, just talk about... Yeah, right. Like one of the things I want to do is, you know, do more like video game things with scientists, maybe do some um, comment like uh, watching with scientists, like watching movies and science fiction things and have a scientist do commentary on it. And of course, just do general panels about the science and like anime, comic books and things like that. And of course, you know, dress up as, you know, our favorite (laughs) characters that inspire that are inspired by science. I love dressing up as a Jedi every time I can talk about the science of Star Wars. Yeah. So wait, how did this start in the first place? It's, it's really fun because, uh, so at our museum, we, we, um, we have events that we call discovery day where we, uh-huh. you know, we do special themes and things like that. And so for one of our themes that we did, I called it making monsters where I want to talk about how art or how science is inspired no, sorry, how art is inspired by science. And so for it, I did a little booth where I talked about, again, fossil Pokemon, and I dressed up as Professor Oak. That's the first time I ever did that. And people loved it. They were like, this is so cool. And I had an amazing time pretending to be Professor Oak and talking about fossils. And so I realized like, hey, there's something here when, when, you, when you connect science and pop culture, things that are very relatable to people, right, that they do in their everyday lives. And then you connect the science to it, then hopefully they can connect the science to other things. And so one of my good friends and uh, collaborators, who's also a paleontologist at a nearby museum, was going to a Comic-Con for their museum. And they were going to set up a booth and they invited us to go along. And I was like, hey, Brittany, if we're going to do this, we have to go all out. (laughs) So we're like, we have to dress up. We're going to Comic-Con to talk about dinosaurs. We need to go as a Jurassic Park crew. So we dressed up as a Jurassic Park crew. I was Dr. Alan Grant and I felt so sexy that day. And (laughs) what we did is we had an amazing time because people came up to us and were like, oh, cool. You're dressed up as Jurassic Park characters. And these are fossils. Like, yeah, we're also paleontologists. Do you want to talk more? And we realized that when people saw us as cosplayers first, they weren't intimidated by us as scientists. We kind of became just people to them who, who had the same love of science and stories and they wanted to stay and talk with us and ask us questions. They weren't afraid of us. They weren't afraid of like, quote, sounding stupid, which, you know, nobody ever really sounds stupid when you're talking and trying to learn. But, you know, that fear of, 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 of a scientist, that intimidation um, was gone. We broke their perceptions of what a scientist could be. 
And so that's when we realized that we could do this all the time. And so that's how the Cosplay for Science initiative was started. Me and Brittany and um, two of our other paleontology friends, um, Michelle Barboza and Isaac Magallanes, we started Cosplay for Science initiative to to do that, to cosplay and go to places and connect science. And we've grown and added so many scientists from different fields and educators um, to do just that. We go out to community events, we go where the people are, and we connect science to their favorite fandoms and TV shows and comic books, whatever we can to get them to think critically about things. Like, you know, if you're watching a movie, we want you to learn how to ask questions of like, oh, how does that happen? Can that happen in real life? Ask why did that happen? And then hopefully that'll train them to be better science-minded folks in their real life or their everyday life. Yeah. I, you know, the, the funny thing is actually I had another interview yesterday. I talked to a biologist who's also really into pop culture, uh, Dr. Ronald Allen Cruz, and he has his own uh, YouTube channel where he talks about pop culture and science. It's called Pop Cycle, Popsicle. I always say it as Pop Cycle because it's it's spelled with <laughs> S I. So it's my my head says Pop Cycle, Pop Cycle, but it's, yeah, Popsicle. And yeah, we we were we, we, he shares the same sentiments uh, about uh, relating pop culture to science because yeah, that's 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 the, that's one of the best ways to get people to see that science is, is in everyday life and. You know, especially the people who say that, you know, don't overthink the movies, don't overthink the TV shows that you watch. I'm like, what overthinking is fun. What you think is over what you say is overthinking. To me, that's just that's that's asking questions. That's that's being more uh being more critical in, in a good way about what I'm seeing. And in, in many ways it enhances the experience when I can understand why that how how that portal would work or how time travel would work in this scenario or something, right? Absolutely. Like, you know, I, I do think that you can, you can, there are folks who take it too far where they're like just negative about everything, but like, yeah, there's like a difference between being critical and having fun with something versus someone who's just critical for, for where where it doesn't become fun anymore. And what we want and like what you do is we find the fun in asking questions, right. And trying to figure out how things work. We don't always go like, Oh, that can't work in real life. Or like, that's not real. We're like, yeah, of course it's not real. It's a movie, but it's still fun to try to figure out how it could work in real life and still enjoy the movie. Yeah. And that's why I I'm a big fan of Kyle, uh, Kyle Hill. Yeah. Because science and, uh, now he has his own channel. Yeah. And, and, for for a long time, he was doing a lot of videos about you know about the Flash, about how Spider Man's powers would work, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And you know, I I just you know maybe someday I could uh, I'd I'd love to see more content like that here in the Philippines. Maybe I could start making some if I if I get over my camera shyness. But, <laughs> but yeah, dude, that would be amazing. I think you could do some great stuff with that. Yeah, and and hopefully, yeah, maybe we can work on something like that in the future. Oh yeah, if you you know, we're always asking if anyone wants to join Cosplay for Science. So if you want to become part of the initiative, please please join us. Oh yeah, well, if anyone's listening and you know interested to join Cosplay for Science uh, and dress up for science uh, as your favorite characters, definitely you can reach out to uh, Gabe and his crew. <laughs> yeah, what would be the best way to reach out to you? Um, the best way to reach me would be probably through my Instagram. Um, I'm at Paleo Paradox. Um, I also it's the same on Twitter and my Twitch channel as well. I'm always on my phone. 
So, you know, if you ever want to, if you, I always love answering questions too. So if I, I, I will say like, if you have questions or want to just talk about something that you love in science, send me a message there. I am usually pretty good at answering things. Yeah. Um, just a, yeah, just a couple of quick questions. Among everything you've done as a paleontologist, what would you say is the thing that you're most proud of and why? Ooh, let's see. Um, I would say actually my, my, my most, the most, the accomplishment I'm most proud of is something that happened pretty recently is, um, I was recently named a Grosvenor teacher fellow, um, with National Geographic and Lindblad Expeditions. Um, basically it's this really cool, um, professional development opportunity where I get to really hone my skills as an educator and paleontologist to become a better teacher. Um, and it's, it's, it's something that I'm very, very proud of because as a kid, you know, I had National Geographic magazine, right? So I would watch National Geographic documentaries all the time. And I was always like, I want to tell stories like those people in National Geographic and on the, in, in the documentaries. And now, thanks to this amazing opportunity as a Grosvenor Teacher Fellow, I can learn how to do that. And once, you know, once my fellowship is over, I'm hoping I can really, really just become this kind of person that that can tell these stories, like the people that I was inspired by when I was a kid. And, um, you know, being a paleontologist, being a scientist and an educator, I can combine everything that I know um, with my storytelling ability and just hope that I can share and inspire things with people. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's not like a, 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 a last level accomplishment. It's something that I think is going to help me be better along the way. But the fact that now I can say that I'm, I, I, I'm part of something in National Geographic and Lindblad Expeditions is just this huge thing for me because it, it, it's, it's something that I've always wanted to do or be a part of since I was a kid. And now that I have it, I just, I love saying it sometimes just to be like, oh yeah, that's real. It's so cool. Um, my When I told my mom, she was like, talaga, ang galing naman. And I was like, yeah, I know. Isn't it awesome? Yeah, I, I definitely have to agree. It's super awesome. And I cannot wait to... Because I will definitely, I am sure I'm going to hear about what the, the things you'll be doing as, with National Geographic support. And I, I can't wait to see what, what you're going to do. Well, thank you. Yeah, um, I saw this artwork. Uh, I forgot who it was. His, his artwork uh, depicted how scientists of the future would depict animals of today if, if everything died out and all they had to work with was fossils. And his point was that we tend to shrink. Mm. Um, we tend to like shrink or like, uh, understate the mus the musculature of these animals. What are your thoughts on that? Oh yeah, that's true all the time. I mean, like if you, I, I know exactly the book you're talking about. It's actually one of my favorite books, um, where they like they did exactly that. They're like how we think animals might look if we only had the bones of it. And if you if you really do look at like the way animals are today, like if you take like a dog skeleton and you put it next to like a pug and a, a chihuahua and a Great Dane you think that they're all different animals. And then if you don't know like how fat something is or how, how chunky, how skinny, how musculature something is, if you're just adding it just right there on the skeleton frame, a lot of times we, we shrink wrap as it's called in paleo art. And we don't really add that kind of that, that, that pop of life 
that they that they have sometimes and um also in nature there are just things that that just defy imagination sometimes if you look at a lot of birds with all these really crazy ornamental feathers those don't fossilize so you'll never be able to see those things um with yeah. like you know like like fish and all their amazing colors that are out there and their their fins that never you know because their fins don't get preserved or if you look at even in mammals right just the diversity of mammals in in their the the hair and and their like their uh, their faces even those are the things that don't preserve in the fossil record and without actually getting to look at it you'll you, we we can never really get to that image when we reconstruct them so that's where i think sometimes imagination you know the mm-hmm. is lacking i don't want to say lacking because it's kind of it's pretty negative but you know i feel like we could push our imagination a little bit further and remember that these are living breathing creatures that sometimes they're fat sometimes their environment plays a part sometimes they need to be very bright and flashy and we need to remember that and really like push and look at how the world is today that's why there's some of my favorite paleo artists or science illustrators are those who do that you know they don't shrink wrap they remember that things have weight some things are chunky some things are weird and i love seeing that and then you know some people are like that looks very science fiction i'm like yeah because in science fiction we have to remember that these are living breathing creatures and so why do we do it there but not in in science illustration sometimes very good point yeah, this makes me want to look at like that kind of uh, paleo art. If you can, yeah, if you can recommend uh, some of the artists that you know who 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 draw things like like that, I would love to check out their work. Oh yeah, my favorite is Tara Whitlatch. Uh-huh. Um, she is a famous science illustrator and also creature designer. She worked on Star Wars Episode One, and wow. she is the person who created Jar Jar Binks and pretty much all of the creatures on Naboo, and. She has an amazing, amazing talent of of creating creatures that look alive, right? They 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 have a life to them, a breath and like a spark almost. And I love looking at all of her art. I have all of her books, and she even <laughs> created a really cool one called the the Natural History or the Ecology of Star Wars. Um, and it's she's just one of my favorite artists of all time. All right, yeah, I'm gonna check out her work definitely after this. So. If someone listening right now decides, hey, I want to become a paleontologist too, here in the Philippines, what would your advice be? Oh, great question. On, um, let's see. I think first I would say be open to, to, to trying different things, right? There's a lot of folks who go into paleontology thinking they're going to work on dinosaurs. <laughs> um, that's totally cool. That's fine. But in the Philippines, it's going to be hard. So remember that wherever you can go to get experience is probably very, very important. So go volunteer at a local natural history museum, volunteer at a geology lab or a, or a university and get that experience with scientists. Um, network, connect with scientists. You know, today, social media makes it so easy to connect with scientists all over the world. So definitely, you know, connect with them, ask them questions, learn, and, you know, read, read up on all the latest discoveries, you know, go on YouTube, watch PBS eons. Um, I love that channel. Yeah. Oh yeah. They're amazing. I love all those people. Um, And then, yeah, just keep learning. Don't be, always want to learn the new things, um, connect with folks. And then, 
from there, if, 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 if you're for sure, that's what you want to do. And you've gotten a little bit of experience, then I would say, you know, you want to go and find a, a program where you can get a degree in maybe biology, evolution, or geology, maybe a combination of both. And then just, you know, really work as hard as you can. But, you know, also remember that you're a person and you, you need to have time for yourself. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if this is what you want to do, go for it. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. If you don't, if you, if you're the only Filipino paleontologist you've ever met, then remember that you can only, you can be that new paleontologist for someone else to meet down the line and really carve your own path. There is no one path into, into paleontology. There are so many different ways to do it. Find connections, build up your skills in, in paleontology by volunteering and go get a degree in geology or biology. And from there, you know, you've really set yourself up to be a great paleontologist. Great words from a great paleontologist. I enjoy these conversations with scientists, but because this this one is particularly close to my heart, I really enjoyed this talk. Oh yeah, me too. Thank you. I really thank you so much again for inviting me. I mean, you know, like I said, I'm a huge fan of your work too. I followed you on Instagram like a long time ago and I was like, this guy is so cool. And he, you're doing what I love and you, you know, you're doing something so important for the next generation of Filipino scientists by exposing them. So for me too, this has been an awesome conversation and I'm, I feel very lucky to have been able to invite it, been invited by you. Yeah. So thank you so much and uh, stay safe. And I look forward to our next conversation. Hopefully we can have you on the show again at some point. Oh yeah, definitely. Just let me know. Thanks again. Thanks for tuning in. Help us shine the spotlight on more Pinoy scientists by leaving us a rating and a review. Subscribe to our podcast to get new episodes every week. Always stand for science.